Welcome to another episode of the Week Pastor Podcast, where we view Christianity through the lens of vulnerability. Welcome to the Week Pastors Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Uh, Can I do it? Can I do it? We have a very special episode for you today. (laughs) Sua, you know what? I think you should be the one that's saying that every time. It sounds a lot more special when it comes from your voice. Absolutely. (laughs) We do have a real special voice from you today. And we're so grateful that you've joined us uh, today. And uh, like we always do, we like to have a question, uh, like an opening question to kind of get to know each other a little bit better. And so, Sua, I have a question for you. Okay. Shoot. If you can go get plastic surgery or go to a dermatologist to get some work done on your face or your body, what would it what 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 would you get work on? Oh, I have a very easy one. Is okay, it I have, easy? Well, you know, I have two. I have two. You have two? Yeah, okay. I have two. I've thought about okay. this because being okay. Korean all right. and all, you know, apparently plastic surgery in Korea is so commonplace oh, now. Oh, that oh people... guys get it all the time now. No, yeah, but, yeah. But back in the day when people used to get it, it was still kind of like a hush-hush thing. So yeah. you would get it and then you would kind of disappear for a couple of weeks yeah. and then come back with a new and improved face. But now apparently people, it's so normal that people will have gotten like their nose jobs and they still have like the bandages and everything on their face. Oh yeah, they're in the subways. They're in the and like on the streets oh, yeah. with their like bandages on of course of course of course what do it's you mean of so course normal. this is wild me. no i i see it all the time I, I spent my sabbatical in korea about seven eight years ago and you see that people on the subways just got work done and they're like you know they have bandages yeah, it, on there's, their no face. There's, no there's no shame there's no shame because it's, it's just, just self-improvement i guess right and men um, men have to do it too as they get older because in korea you have to look young and if you if you're in your fifties, you got to get some work done to keep looking young. Because if I mean, you look old, they'll fire you. Listen, I have no issues with people getting plastic surgery. You know, you do you. I do think in Korea, the society has kind of created this monster yeah. because you know you have to put your picture on a job application in Korea. Absolutely, which Absolutely. is discrimination here. But there, Absolutely. they want to know what you look like, and so if Absolutely. that's the market that you're entering, then obviously you have to look your best. But anyway, okay. Okay, so, so what would you get done? All right, so two things. The first one is two. Um, okay. I got this ties in. I got braces at a very, very young age. Okay. Um, but because I lived in Guatemala <laughs> when I okay. got my braces, the methods oh, they no. were using for orthodontics <laughs> was like from the 1960s. Oh, okay. No. So they removed a bunch of my molars when I was what? nine. Yeah. And apparently they don't do this anymore. I asked my friend who's a dentist and she was like, uh, they stopped doing that in like the 70s. Um, but. <laughs> This was the 90s and 2000s and they were still doing this to me. So basically they they went, they put me under general anesthesia for 10 hours, which is already sketchy for a 10 year old or nine year old. And then they removed my molars and they removed the molars that were going to grow out. So I keep telling my dentist every time I go in, uh, I'm missing four teeth and they don't believe me until then they count my teeth and they're like, you are missing teeth. And I'm like, yes, I know because they removed these teeth. Because my mom wanted me to have beautiful teeth. Um, Now, that was fine because I have beautiful teeth, except because they removed my molars, I swear it messed up my jawline. Um, So now I look like a dinosaur. Like, you know when you you see like a brachiosaurus, they're like their chin and their (laughs) neck kind of blends into, do you know what I'm talking about? I don't even know what a brachiosaurus is. Like a brontosaurus. You know when you, you know those dinosaurs that have the long necks? Apparently now they're called brachiosaurus. So the, 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 chin and the neck just kind of blend into each other so basically i'm a, i am a dinosaur i Wait, look like a dinosaur side, turn to the side turn to the I side i have no jawline i have no jawline 
I know. I'm a, I'm a break That's awesome. Business. Wait a minute. So so you would get a jaw job. Like I to would get like a jo- to, to have get a like a little line. bit of a defined jaw so I don't look like a freaking dinosaur anymore. <laughs> so that's number one. But the second one is I have toe thumbs. Have you ever heard of what toe thumbs are? Apparently Megan Fox thumbs. has toe thumbs. Okay. Um, they're thumbs, but they can look you, can like Can you put toes. it up close to the camera? Because I want to see. Oh, they're small. They're they're flat and small. Like they're short and okay. flat. Wow. And so um, my sister-in-law used to call them toe thumbs. And sometimes wow. like my friends, when I would you know be eating and my hand would be resting on the table, they'd be like, how dare you put your toes on the table? Like get <laughs> get all those toes from <laughs> Those the are table. some amazing friends. They're yeah. awesome. Yeah, they speak the truth. But um, <laughs> I used to, yeah. So I don't know what happened to them because nobody in my family has these thumbs. Um, everyone has normal <sighs> thumbs. My to- my thumbs are so strange that, you know, for prom, we all get our well, nails done. can't you done. just grow it out, though? Can't you grow out the nail? No, because the width of it is really wide. Like, really? so it's almost like, yeah, so the width of my thumbs are really wide. So when I went to get my nails done for prom, they had to make a custom acrylic nail for that thumb because they didn't have one that was like a pre-made one that fit. It's like the double the width of a regular thumb. So the lady was just kept putting them on and then she just kept putting them on to see if they would fit. And then finally she, she was like, and then she like got out this like mesh and then she like had to custom make me an acrylic nail for my thumb. So so she probably charged you like double the price than normal. And then she couldn't charge me. It was my mom's friend, obviously. Oh, so she could- Man, that's crazy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would really like to have some normal thumbs so that oh, I don't look man. like I have toes right, so, on the table. So, so, so next time you we, we get together and we eat, I'm going to be like, Sua, why are you putting your feet on the table? <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll just cry because it's trauma love, from my childhood. I love those friends. But oh, yeah, you, no, you, it's... Yeah. So, it's, so but me, I think it's a much bigger thing for me though because I remember I asked John recently, I said, would you rather have like our girls have my thumbs or like club feet? And he's like, what's wrong with your thumb? Who cares? Like, there's like actual issues with club feet. I was like, oh, I guess it's a bigger thing for me than like other people. What, what, what's club feet? I've never heard of that. I don't know. Is I that heard bunions? it's like a thing. Is that bunions? No, I don't think so. Okay. Or like okay. web feet maybe. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But yeah, my well, thumbs, my thumbs. Wow. But the fact that you can just share it so openly it means that you're okay with it. It's cool. This was a journey, PP. When I used to do push-ups when I was younger, I used to okay. I used to tuck my thumbs inside my fingers because I'd rather have four fingers than a demented finger. Like wow. literally, I used to when I was like in gym class and oh, stuff. I, I would I hide, feel. like I would hide my thumb because it was so embarrassing. But now so, I'm kind of like, this is who I am, and exactly. I'm a brachiosaurus with deformed thumbs. That's right. That's yes. right. And listen, but this is what my wife says sometimes when I make fun of her about certain things too. About it, she said, "Well, you know what? Like about our height, she goes, God's just." God's just. <laughs> I don't even want to know what she's implying. What by that, that means that you you can't have everything. So Sua, <laughs> she's God's got everything just. else. No, 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 Sua, you can't, you cannot have everything, Sua. So God's just. You know what I'm saying? He's just. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all right. You can't be perfect, right? Yeah. So well, God's he, just, he but the orthodontist you, wasn't no, very just. Right, so maybe, he screwed but, up my jawline. But he had to give you toe thumbs because if you know, you didn't, it wouldn't be right if you had everything like you know intact and stuff like that. So yeah, that's perfect. what I tell so God myself. God is just. That's God what I tell myself to cope with the deformity. So yeah, this jawline thing is interesting because recently my son, my Christian has a really nice jawline, by the way. He so, does yeah. have a really nice jawline. I've seen them in pictures. Oh, have you seen it? Okay. Yes. So I, they're visible I, I, from know, three miles away. Okay. So I never knew that was a thing, but there's guys at his school, they go to him, they're like, wow, you have a nice jawline. And I'm like, what? 
why would guys? This is a big thing. Line? No, I this is a huge a thing. thing. I had it's no idea jawline is. A, so he's got an excellent jawline, and his, and guys give him compliments on it all the time. I'm yeah, like, I could, I could, I I've like, seen the pictures of his jawline. You could like yeah. slice salami on that thing. It's like so like, sharp. I, I was like, puppy, I think they're hitting on you, man. <laughs> like, I think they're hitting on you. So you better be careful. Who does but he anyway. get the jawline from? Is it you? Ah, it must be for me. I don't know. I but I don't think. Turn I have to the nice side. Let's see. Hold on. Do I? No, it's Christian's no. is much sharper. Like I said, you well, can you know cut deli meats so on his. so skinny. He's so skinny. Oh, maybe so maybe I'll have to go it. look at your yeah, picture I, I, from when I you were in high school. Yeah, I am not skinny like that. So yeah, so yeah. Actually, you know what? You have a picture of me in high school, so you can just look yeah. At let that me zoom into that, and I think I had we'll a let you know. Back then. Okay, so if I can get plastic surgery on anything, all right, you know what it would be? What liposuction? Uh, what? I got to get rid of the visceral fat on my belly. Are you joking right now? No, you want to get lipo? Lipo. I would love to get liposuction. But you it do would be Maven like, like crazy. No, 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 no. So listen, here's the thing about my body. Like my body is this. I only like, like I, I'm actually pretty fit because I do Maven a lot. But I have like my weakest thing is I have a lot of belly fat. And like the thing is I can never get rid of it. And I actually did some research. It's called visceral fat. So you know visceral like Janet. Fat. So you know Janet Jackson back in the day. Uh, you know she has these great abs. Yeah. But you Amazing know Janet. Abs. Well, that's because she's had liposuction. Oh, and the reason oh, why is because okay. she dieted, she worked out, she did everything, but she could never lose the fat on her belly. And so she justified it. She got liposuction. When she got that thing sucked out, she had those crazy Wait, so you're saying this abs. is a genetic thing? You're saying you've genetically predisposed to not have abs? Well, yeah, in my family, definitely. Uh, my wife, Jenny, she's completely different. She works out for like a month and she you can already see lines of a six-pack. Like... Like, like that's why I told her we need to go to a tropical island at least once a year because the only time she wants to work out is when she's got to wear a bikini, and uh, and if she doesn't have to wear a bikini, she doesn't work out. I and, am but so when she works out for like a month, you can start seeing an outline of a six pack <laughs> on her belly. Well, you don't think maybe so? Okay, <laughs> one time I did this thing called the abs diet, um, and basically they tell you it's all it's all nutrition actually. If you really want to talk about fitness yes. and abs everything else fine maybe not but abs you really if you want strong abs and that visible are visible yep. you yep. need to not eat certain foods it's all sugar and so, carbohydrates absolutely. you gotta cut I, those out but pp I, 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 I know what that. you eat and I know. there was I, I one time i went to um <laughs> that conference with you and you ate what did I eat? oh my gosh you ate <laughs> you ate a six foot sub from subway but you wanted tuna on both sides of the bread <laughs> What's and then you, you finished the whole thing and then you said you wanted to die. Like you were sitting there like my stomach is wait, going. Wait, oh, I bought two footlongs? You put tuna on. So usually they get like a footlong and then yeah. they put tuna. But you asked for tuna, like double the tuna. Uh -huh. So there was like tuna on each side of the yeah. bread. And you mm. ate it in like 10 minutes. And then afterwards you were like, I don't feel so good. <laughs> yeah. So I, listen, if you do that, if you yes, do that. Okay. You're not gonna have. It's no, not no, no, visceral no. fat. It's just so, fat. So listen. Even I'm sorry. I, I have to tell you. No, 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 no. Visceral fat is legit. Google it. But here's the thing. Even when I did the Maven project for like the six months, and I, I didn't. I my diet was perfect for six months. Perfect for six. That's months. That's true. Yeah. Um. No abs. You know. What, no abs. You know when I was young, um, and I was like 100, you know, 40 pounds and six feet four inches tall. Yeah. I never had abs. Really? I had no stomach, but I never had abs. I never had a six pack. My son. 
he doesn't really do much sit-ups, but he's got a six-pack. You know, I think that might be a after, thing. He takes after my wife's genetics. She, he's got my wife's genes. So he, he, does, he, he does a lot of pull-ups. He doesn't do a lot of sit-ups. He does a lot of pull-ups. But that just a little exercise, and he's got a six-pack. I so think that's for true. me, I think I've some never people had are. a six pack in my entire life. So if I could do something, put that vacuum in my stomach and <laughs> suck the fat out, baby. Suck all that black, dirty <laughs> fat. Let me see my six pack. That was what you I would know, do. My dad has a humongous belly. He's always had a humongous belly. We used to joke that he's pregnant, yeah. um, which is actually a terrible thing. Not the fact that we're joking, but the belly itself is terrible because apparently. Yeah. It's the, you know, the, the abdominal area, the fat there is the biggest risk for diabetes and heart disease, apparently. Yes, yes. Um, but my dad is fit everywhere else. Like, if you look at him from the back, he looks really I'm the slim. same way. But you do not, no, you have to, you have to understand this is a big belly, like oh, okay, such okay, a okay. big belly okay, okay, to the point okay. where my parents, when they moved to Korea, my mom said, I'm, ma I'm married to the fattest person in Seoul. Because <laughs> like, it's like a really big belly. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, my mom used to always make fun of my belly and be like, your belly is so big, but you got it from your dad. And so yeah, no, genetics is like a total Genetics is thing. for real because my mom is so skinny, but she got a massive belly and I get that from her. <laughs> you know, she got a mass, and it's, 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 it's not like, you know how some guys, they have like very like, it's a big belly, but it's like really hard. That's what my like dad really has. Yeah, no, that's not me. Mine is very soft and blubber. So no. like my Jenny will say this and my kids will say this all the time. They say, you know, my, Jenny would be like, man, you work out like four or five times a week. You eat pretty good. I eat. I don't eat the way you eat. And she goes, I can't believe you cannot lose your belly. And I'm like, I just can't. I can't. So, you know, I mean, it's just, I've just accepted it. It keeps me warm in the winter. Really enjoy in the winter. <laughs> just in the belly it's been area. Really, really warm in the winter. So I just Ooh, accepted it. You know? Yo, right. stick that stick that vacuum tube in my stomach and let's go to town. If it was that free, I'd do it. I'd do it for free. Stop, you would not. Kanye I West's would... mom died from liposuction. Is it dangerous to do liposuction? Well, no. I don't know what happened to her. I think she must have died from the anesthesia. Yeah. I'm not I actually sure, anesthesia. but it scares me. Like the whole idea I would have done, you know, because um I grew up with a mom who valued beauty and a culture yeah. that valued beauty yeah. and um i have not actually believe i really i'm scared to say this ever since you told me that jenny told a nameless friend that when he said um he did not do any plastic <laughs> surgery she just it. looked at him it and was like yeah it. it looks it like i can tell so i don't want to say <laughs> my, this to you in case savage. you say that to me but i also have not done any plastic surgery but the only reason why i'm, I'm i haven't probably is because i'm so scared of yeah. going like under the knife like i'm so and scared if, let me just encourage you please don't ever do it because you don't need to okay because that would be horrible say that though people you know what that's a whole you know what let's do a top let's do an okay. episode okay. on plastic surgery right. oh, okay i have a lot right, of thoughts well, about it we got to get we got to get to our yes, topic here yes, all do. right now we're going to switch a little bit we talked about body trauma now we want to talk about church <laughs> <Body> trauma, trauma. <laughs> church trauma well listen i i think all of us could probably if we could get on this mic we would have a story where we've had a traumatic experience at church uh whether it was through pastor whether it's through a leader in the church and church trauma is real. It's it's something that we cannot uh, downplay. And and I wanted to kind of talk about that today. And I was hoping maybe you know, uh, Sue, you could share something, or maybe uh, some an experience you had, or one of your family members have had, who've had some church trauma. And I wanted to share mine as well, and kind of figure out how we were able to kind of deal with it. What was some of the side effects of it but how do we maybe overcome it and maybe that can encourage some of us because some of you might be listening you might have said i'm done with church i'm never going to church again um i have a close friend where he's a pastor he got fired from his church and his kids are like i'll never go back to church again because <gasps> the way they hurt and destroyed oh, our family man. and i don't blame them i mean that and they had to go through years of therapy 
years of therapy because of because of what happened and so i don't blame i i understand mm-hmm. but we have to get past it because again church is christ-centered christ is the head of the church mm-hmm. and so we have to figure out a way to heal from it so anyway so why don't you share uh, have you had a personal experience with some church trauma yeah i don't i don't have any so if you ask me like that, there's no like specific incidences that I can point to and be like, here, this is where I was harassed or because this is where I was abused. you're the perfect modeled Christian but at actually, church. Actually, no, that's actually no? not true. Because when I was, I will tell you, when I was in middle school, I was kind of a demon child. And um, I- A demon child? I was pretty bad. I was. It was my rebellious. My mom will tell you that there's what? never been a time when I've I made her- I don't believe that. I've made her like go through a like- parenting ordeal like you know most kids go through puberty and like they're crazy and my mom's like you were never like that except in seventh grade that was like the whole year in seventh grade and i don't know what was happening but that's when i started getting really rebellious Uh um, and i started you know arguing back with my dad i still remember screaming like matches between my brother and my my dad and me at like the parking lot in the inglewood h mart r.i.p inglewood h mart but we used to literally be in the car my mom would have to park there because my dad and i would be going at it at each other just screaming at the top of our lungs and my mom's like oh my gosh people are gonna find us and like they're gonna see that (laughs) you know because we're in h mart i'm like you could have parked somewhere else then you know (laughs) But anyways, but most of our fights were because um, I I could not get along with the youth pastor. I hated this youth pastor. I hated him. Like, I hated him so much that I used to write in my diary about him. And I still remember a picture. What made you hate him so much, though? Well, I drew a picture of him in my diary. And I would, like, draw dandruff on him. He didn't have any dandruff. But I was like, there's fleas. He has fleas. And look, at he's gross. And I hate him. And this was literally the argument that... What did I hate about him? This is a very, very good question. I think that um, in retrospect, he well, let was. Me just say, let me just say yeah. this, okay? What? So that's your dark side. Your dark side, you drew pictures of him with dandruff. Give me <laughs> You're such a good person. I was you in know seventh what grade. I was in oh seventh my... grade. What could you possibly think, think of the... in seventh grade? I mean, a lot of things. I would be picturing a lot of other. I picture him like getting hit by a car and his like intestines are all coming out in the, in the street okay, or something all, like that. First of all, that's really, that's really. Corey, right, so you, well, I don't know why you have to go there. You are so funny. You're like, I hated him. I hated him. You know what I did? I drew a picture of him with dandruff. <laughs> I'm gonna, you know, I'm you gonna try to find good. this picture. I'm gonna you, find this picture and nice. I'm gonna post it on our okay, Instagram okay, to okay. prove to you that this is okay. what I did. No, right, but ahead. I think it was. So he he was a very remember. I went to a Korean church. Yes, and yes. the youth group was in English. Right. So it was like a weird transition, I guess. Um, So they were looking for a pastor. This pastor, he had just come from Korea to go to seminary in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, And the thing that I hated about him was that he was super um, like authoritative. Is that the right Mm -hmm. word? Like he would just be like, I am the pastor. That's right. You guys are are my minions and you will do as I say. He was extremely um, like that was his name. And I don't think that necessarily works well in a group of middle school children yeah. who are just starting to kind of find their voice and try to become um, that start that journey to becoming an adult. And yep. so I don't I think, man, like our youth group was pretty small. It was maybe about 15, 20 kids. OK, um, but I don't know why I decided to be like the Spartacus of this rebellion. Like, I don't know why I like put myself out there to try to like lead this. And so, listen, it got so ugly that at one point. he used to but he also was not somebody who would then humbly be like how can i do better like he would draw pictures of me on the board and be like everyone in this room is really pretty except sua 
No, I kid way. you not. You it was are like, lying. A it was like me versus the pastor. It was me versus this Chondosanim, you know, the Korean wow. version of the pastor. He had it out for me and I had it out for him. Like we were like, so one what? time, finally, this is actually terrible. So I mean, little things like, okay, I'll give you an example of why I also got annoyed at him. I remember Komdo days, right? This is during my Komdo days, okay? Yo, that's it, grab that stick. <laughs> no, Komdo was mostly boys and then two girls. Mm. It was like mm. 20 boys and like me and this other Ani, mm -hmm. older girl. So after we did our degree tests, we would all go to Broad Avenue and we would go to karaoke. This was like uh -huh. our thing. We would eat lunch and we would go to karaoke. So this particular day we were doing that, he lived in Palisades Park. So he calls my mom and he's like, I don't know what you're doing, how you're raising your daughter, but I just saw your daughter gallivanting around Broad Avenue with a bunch of boys. <laughs> and my mom's like, yes, I know she's going to karaoke. But he, but this is the kind of like way, like, you know, do you yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, like this kind yeah. of speaks to the way he would handle all of us middle schoolers, like very, yeah. very conservative, extremely, you know, um, this is how it is and that's it. So, so finally this all culminated in one Sunday when he pulled me aside and he said to me, why do you hate me so much? Like he literally said to a seventh grader, okay? He said, why do you hate me so much? And then I didn't know what to say because it's been going on, this feud's been going on for like six months and I don't know, like you suck. But then yeah, he yeah. left, then he left the church and okay. everybody was like, Sua, you did it. You ousted this guy. <laughs> but I don't necessarily wow. look proudly upon this moment in my life, you know? Wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, so going into that, this is all to say that was mostly my experience in youth group where yes. um, a lot of these pastors came in with a clear idea of how they wanted to run this show. Yeah. Um, they never really let us have any input and it was always very, you know, um, like I tell you the rules, this is how it is. And if you're not going to listen to me, then basically you're going to hell and you're condemned, you yeah. know, that was kind wow. of the theme. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Did you want to stop going to church after that experience? Um, no, because it was my social life. So okay. I think mostly yeah, it wasn't were, yeah. a lot of my friends and my okay. crew okay. were at church. Um, yeah. But you know what I you know what I find interesting looking back on it is we had a lot of different youth pastors kind of cycle through. Yeah. Um, and the ones that really we resonated with were never the ones that you would think a youth pastor should be to be successful. Like the cool ones, mm. the ones that like speak mm -hmm. really eloquently. We yeah. had one youth pastor that we loved so much. And he, he only left because he had to go move to a different place for job. But uh -huh. he was this 40 something year old, 50 year old man who was balding and he could barely speak English. He had this very broken yeah. English. He would, he, I remember he, he kept saying, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Like <laughs> he would always say it. And we would always <laughs> Wait, tease him. No, I can't. Jesus, Jesus Christ. No, but, um, <laughs> no, but you know what? And he used to wear these like crazy thick glasses, you know, like Dwight Schrute glasses. Um, <laughs> And like he was this chubby man, but we loved him because I think he was mm. authentic. He was really heart, authentic. Yeah. And we were so, we all cried when he left the church yeah. after he did his Aww. year with us. And this is not who you would imagine. You would want some like hip yeah. guy who would resonate with yeah. the kids who wears vans and, you know, skinny jeans. But no, this yeah. guy was nothing that you would imagine. But he, wow. he really, everybody loved this guy. And I think that was kind of a lot of times what was missing, I think, in my church experience the authenticity you yeah know? wow yeah, yeah. and oh, my I brother see. my brother let me tell him if you think i'm demon child oh my gosh 
if I drew so men with then? dandruff, my yeah. brothers yeah. came a little later. So he was pretty passive until I want to say he was. So he used to lead worship at our youth group. Okay. And um, in I'm dying to know what church you went to. Junior but I, year I of know. high school, he started searching. Mm. You know, like his his faith, like started becoming kind of dubious to him because until then, I think you kind of just believe what your pastor, uh, what your mom and dad tell you. And, you know, when you ask questions, they're just kind of like, it's fine. Like, don't ask those yeah. questions. You don't. Yeah. And then it gets to a point where I think it's hard to suppress those questions. And so for him, he had this moment in 11th grade where he was like, I don't know if I believe this stuff. So, you know, he went to the pastor, the senior. Oh my gosh, this was a whole debacle. It's hard for me to explain this to you if you don't understand what the context of a small Christian co Korean church is like, uh -huh. but everybody knows everybody's business, yeah, okay? This yeah, is kind yeah, of, yeah. you know, and everything is drama. There's always some kind of drama. And so yeah. in this particular instance, I remember my brother had decided that he doesn't really want to do worship anymore because he's like, I don't know if I can go up there on Sunday and lead worship when i don't even know if jesus is real like i just doesn't seem right to me yeah so he met up with the pastor the senior the pastor. senior pastor because the youth pastor then referred him to the senior pastor okay okay and the senior pastor was like well that's very irresponsible of you and even if you don't believe you should still stick out the year because you've committed for the year wow. and i think that's when the unraveling started happening because yeah. he was like yeah. what and it got so bad that with my parents getting upset at the, how it was handled the pastor who um, I feel a little bad for throwing under the bus, but he, so apparently people will come up to my mom and say, hey, I heard your son said the spirit has left this church. <laughs> and my mom's like, wow. I don't think my brother even knows how to say these words. So somehow this drama had completely wow. rolled, snowballed into yeah. something else where the pastor yeah. was now upset at our family. Yep. Um, because they were like, you're not raising your son right. And, you know, he there was somebody was spreading rumors about how my brother had said that the Holy Spirit had left this church. It was a spiritless church. And when my mom confronted my brother, he was like, I literally don't know what that means. <laughs> you know, like, I've literally <laughs> never heard that phrase in my life. Um, but yeah, I think that was kind of his unraveling. So, well, so did your mother stay with the church? Or she leave the church because like they were kind of like demonizing you guys. She stuck it out. That's a story for another time. We okay. ended up staying. Right. Right. We stayed right. for a couple of years because once again, when your church is your social club, it's really right. hard. It's very, you're absolutely right. Well, for me, it was too, because for me, um, you know, I attended pretty much a predominantly all white school and, you know, kids would make fun of you and stuff like that. So for church, for me, it was like a refuge. I was like, oh my goodness. Right. They're People just who look like Korean. Yeah. No one's going to make fun of me for being Korean. And, I just it was it was such an important like social group for me to grow up. It was like my refuge, and I don't know if I could have survived my teen years without it, you know, in that way. So, really grateful. Are you for pretty it, popular it, in youth group? Uh yeah, in youth group, but not not in high school, but in youth group, I was. Oh, so was, you, you were, know? so it was a totally well, but, different dynamic in youth group. Right, but Sue, I mean, again, I went to a church like yours. My youth group was probably like 10, 11 people. You know, and so we were just like, we have a very tiny little church. And so like, I was just really good friends with the pastor's kids. So because I was so tight with the pastor's kids, I was naturally just, you know, in with the other six or five people that were part of the church. <laughs> so it wasn't like, there. I don't know if you could, if there's a popularity thing in a church that's that small. 
Uh, it was a really small. I went to a church in Demarest, and um, and even the adult service was like twenty, twenty-five people. So oh, wow. it was a really, really tiny church. That's but really small. I loved the the pastor's kids. We had a really good friendship, and so just I always stuck by it. And then I kind of brought people from my school there, and you know, and stuff like that. And then we started to you know get more Koreans and stuff like that. So that was pretty cool. So, but anyway, yeah. So you know, I just audience listen to me. I'm being very serious here. If you ever see a picture of yourself that Sua has drawn of you and there is dangerous <laughs> on that picture, she hates your guts, okay? Just know that she hates your guts. I still, I still can't, I think that's hilarious, Sua. You are so, Listen, you are so innocent. I'm like, gonna, I'm gonna find this picture. I'm gonna find this picture for you. Listeners, I'm gonna do this for you. No, but, um, but you know, so like, amazing. it's- you're awesome. You're awesome. So listen. Now you're if making I me second guess the vitriol no, I had for yeah, this guy. Yeah, yeah. There was no vitriol. You you <laughs> didn't like him, but there was no vitriol because you don't draw dandruff on somebody if yeah, there was if, vitriol. But I made him leave. I was so toxic okay. that he okay. left the church if, right. eventually. Well, I don't know. He I, he uh, he might have gotten a better opportunity somewhere else. He's like, I'm oh, out of here, man. Do you think this, that I completely like changed the narrative to fit what I believe? <laughs> but might. actually, he got like a really great offer well, to be a senior pastor he might, somewhere. Well, he might have gotten an offer to be a better uh, youth pastor at a bigger church. That's what might have happened. But who Dang. knows? Who knows? But I'm you sure completely you completely opened my eyes to the well, different possibility. Well, listen. If he drew a picture of you on the on the board and said everyone else is pretty except for Sua, that that's pretty. I think that would be pretty traumatic. Well, he um, was pretty petty too. I mean, obviously, I okay. was petty, but he was pretty petty. Okay. But you know, I just want to say, yes, um, the whole entire youth experience was just interesting for me because, you mm. know, I'm sure, you know, the whole church retreat, you go to the church retreat, yeah. um, you know, you, you don't sleep for three days. So you're like half delirious by the time yeah. it's like your last night. And then they tell you to write your sins and then you write and then all they, your sins. Like that time you were meet you to your cry, brother. They force you well, to cry and wail. <laughs> they don't even need to force you because you're delirious from sleep deprivation at that point. So you're just like, your hormones are completely oh, out of whack. And then you tell, tell you to write all of your horrible sins. Oh, of course you're going to cry. Somebody who's listening to this right now, like, wait a minute, I'm a part of a creature. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that's exactly what we do. The last night they, we all cry, you know? So, no, I anyway. think that's actually why one of the things that um i remember okay so confession when we first came to metro one of the things john used to say is i don't like that the service is sometimes very emotional um and i was like but emotion is part of life like why yeah, don't you like that yeah. and then we realized it was because it reminded him of the times in youth group yeah. when everything was so emotional but it yeah. was only emotional yeah. you know it wasn't yeah, yeah emotion in addition to you know repentance and spirituality it was literally just emotion and then you would have this cathartic moment where you cry a bunch and then you feel yeah. like really better about life because you've cried and then yeah. you're like you know i'm i'm reformed but actually it, a lot of times i think there was not it was not it was just yeah. emotion and oh. i think that's you know like a, a nameless um a nameless nephew of mine though i have two only <laughs> process of elimination here yeah <laughs> but yeah he was recently told that i mean when the pastor was told that you know he he the pastor told him pulled him aside after a retreat and said i have questions i have I'm, i have concerns about your spiritual journey because you know you're you're in high school and you should be really mature but i didn't see you crying any tears at the retreat mm. um during that repentance time and so clearly like you're not spiritual because you're not crying you know wow. and this is a kind of toxic messaging i feel like we yeah 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 um where it if we didn't fit into their expectations of what spirituality yeah. should look like in teens, then clearly we did not right. have 
spiritual life. Absolutely. And so we, I mean, I, I hope you don't think I'm trying to, and Sue, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to minimize what, what kind of church trauma we've had to endure. And because it's really serious. And pastors have done so much to hurt so many people over the years. Um, and I know for some of us, some of our listeners, maybe the reason why you don't go to church is because of that. And I still remember like, uh, there was a time where my father-in-law, you know, my father-in-law and mother-in-law aren't Christians. They don't go to church, but they were actually thinking about doing it. They were actually thinking about going to church. It was a time where my oldest, my wife's sister, she's the oldest one in the family, she was going to get married. Okay. And then, um, and she asked her pastor if he could officiate the wedding. And uh, and he said that he would originally. And then um, he uh, and then so my father-in-law said, well, no, nah, I should probably start coming to church. You know, I think I want to give it a shot, give it a go. And then I forgot the exact details, but like it, all of a sudden he said, I can't do it anymore. And she said, why? Why can't you officiate my wedding? And it was something, something so ridiculous. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to give misinformation. Something that was so ridiculous about something that it's hurt my father-in-law so much. And he said, I'm done. I'm not going to come. I'm never mm -hmm. going to give the church a chance again. Because it just, like, wow. how could you say you're going to officiate a wedding right, for right. your daughter? I'm coming out. I, I want to not be a part of the church. And then all of a sudden you tell her, she can't, I'm not going to officiate your wedding because, you know, whatever. I, you, you have this issue, that issue. And it was, I mean, my sister-in-law is a great person. So I don't know what it was exactly, but it like it so hurt like it hurt my father-in-law. He just said, "I'm done. I'm not going to come to church anymore." Mm -hmm. So church trauma is legit. Pastors have made so many mistakes over the years. I am so sorry as as somebody who is a pastor. If you have had to endure that, you know, I mean, it's just horrible. So I know it's legit. So for me, my church trauma really came during my Christian fellowship in college. And I had a college pastor. We had a full-time college campus pastor at our at our college, and uh, it was it, I, I was a part of a very charismatic um, college group, mm -hmm. and it was kind of affiliated with the Assemblies of God, and it was an incredibly multi-ethnic group. Really loved being a part of it. And again, I joined that thing. It was really small, and it was a small group of people. But then it just like because we had such a great incoming freshman class. Mm -hmm. Man, we were just able to grow that group. It's got really big, and, and it was just really great to see that happening. But uh, in the beginning, my freshman year, I met Jenny, and we started dating. And it was just great. You know, Jenny, she was more comfortable with Korean mm -hmm. than English. She came a couple times to Kai Alpha. I wanted her to come. Oh, I just said the organization. Uh, but <laughs> we'll but, uh, but, but she, didn't, you know, she didn't really connect with it that well, you know, and it was, and it was also a little bit charismatic and so forth. So uh, any event, um, so she didn't come. And my campus pastor, um, he told me, he said, uh, I don't want you to date her anymore. And I said, why? He said, well, she's the, you know, she doesn't, I don't think she's got, she doesn't have good enough faith. She doesn't come out to our ministry. You are not to date her anymore. Wait, so he said don't date her because basically because she's not part of the same ministry he was leading. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. And, and I said to him, I said, but but she's a Christian, you know, like she's a Christian. She goes to church <gasps> oh, and stuff. Oh my goodness. And he said, no, I don't want you to be a part of, I don't want you to be it's dating like a cult. her. It was a cult. It was like a cult. Um, and so for me, the, the problem with me, Sua, is that because I grew up with such a broken relationship with my father, he became like my father figure. Mm. And I really wanted him to accept me. I looked up to him. He was a great preacher. You know, I really looked up to him. He discipled me and stuff. And so, you know, I actually did break up with her. I said, you honey. You did? Originally, I did. I said, you know what? I said, hey, you know what? We got to break up because, you know, my campus pastor told me we need to break what up. What did she say? 
she wasn't happy about it, but Jenny just said, okay, you know, let's, we'll break up. Uh, about a week later, <gasps> I was like, this is crazy. You came crawling right back. Oh, hell yeah. I, <laughs> I, said, I said, honey, I'm sorry. I said, Jenny, I'm sorry. Uh, please take me back. Uh, that was crazy. She said, okay. And then I went over to him and I said, listen, it's kind of wrong that you told me to do that. She's a Christian. There's really no reason why I should be breaking up with her. Yeah, she doesn't come out to our fellowship, but she's a believer. He just said, okay, okay. He kind of held his, his tongue for a moment. I would say about a month passed by, you know, and I was dating her and everything. People knew. And then he brought me into his office and he said to me, he said, if you don't break up with her, you are excommunicated from our <gasps> fellowship. And oh I was gosh. devastated. I loved this group. Um, I was fully involved with it. Wow. I loved, I actually loved him. You know, he was like a father figure to me. I want him to accept me. And I didn't know what to do at that point. And I just said, so oh toxic. man, what do I do? And so this is to my shame. Um, I, I went back to Jenny and I said to her, I said, listen, I'm going to get kicked out of this group. And I don't, I really love the people here. I have good relationships with a lot of the people here. We're just really, you know, friends and so forth. And I said, you know, is it okay if we just pretend that we're broken up and we can kind of date in private, but oh we can, gosh. you know, in public, we could just not even look at each other and not sit together at the cafeteria. What did she say to this? She said, yes, you know, she wasn't happy oh about gosh. it, but she said, yes. Oh and my gosh. what I, a healthy Peter on, cause again, I, I was longing for this guy's approval. A healthy Peter would have been basically, I would say, well, screw you. I'm out of here. InterVarsity was there. I could have just joined InterVarsity. It would have been fine, you know? Uh, but it was a very legalistic group. And for the better of about three years, I did that, you know, and we dated in secret. And, you know, in public, you know, I was always with my friends at the uh, cafeteria. We would eat together. You know, she'd walk by. I wouldn't look at her, whatever. I'll say hi here and there. Because, you know, you, you know, you know they, everyone, you, we kind of You've dated. really thought this through. I really thought this through. But she would always sit at a different table. And, you know, she went to college with her sister. So her sister knew that this was happening too, you know, and stuff like that. And it never dawned on me, uh, Sua, to, 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 to and this is this is how messed up I was. It never dawned on me to like really think like how much this was hurting Jenny and making her feel, mm. and uh, and it was just awful. And uh, and and I did that for the better part of three four years. And Wait, what? And, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, hold three, on. Hold on. You did it for three years. No. This this happened for three years. How does somebody do a covert relationship on campus for three to four years? You can do it. You can do it. How you is really this can. possible? I think I think because you just don't you don't do anything. So you're in the in entirety of your college life, basically. In, entirety of my college. Yo, Holy she's a year older. Crap. She's a year older, right? So oh she's a year old. She graduated gosh. a year before me. All right, but like, yeah, like you know. I thought you were going to be like, yeah, and then within three months, I realized this was too hard to do. No, like it was not no, no, working. no, no, no. I did it. Nobody knew. Nobody knew Sua. And and you know, she lived with her sister, so it was easy for me just to go in the room. Like she didn't have like a roommate oh that would be like, well, I'm telling this guy that you're you know, you're dating her. Like her sister was cool with it, you know, and everything. So we'd hang out and stuff like that. But it happened for three years. That is for three wild. Years. And uh yeah, it just it did something to my soul. But it was this traumatic experience for me. And I think part of it was that, you know, I'm not gonna blame this pastor as much as I blame myself. Because I should have just said, screw you, and walked away. Wait, so how does this culminate then? So how it culminates basically is that I lived with that secret for a very, very long time. Very long time. I graduated. Nobody knew we were dating and all that stuff. And then, you know, 
we we didn't get married for like you know so we dated for about three years in why college. did you have to keep it secret after you graduated well it wasn't a secret but i i didn't i didn't like connect with my college friends as much anymore okay. but the first year i didn't tell them but then eventually i just said yeah no i'm dating her you know you guys remember her you know we, you know we dated when we were younger yeah. but no she's you know we got back together we're dating now we're gonna get married so that was fine but i think the the thing about it for me was that it was so traumatic for me because um the kind of person i had to become and mm-hmm. and so i think you know he's definitely at fault but I'm at fault even more because I let him have that kind of influence in my life. And one of the the downfalls of all of that is that I, I still love church and I want to be a part of church. But I think for me, um, I knew what that kind of like, I associated like people who are in like the charismatic movement are mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. authoritative type leaders. Mm-hmm. It's like my way or the highway. So for me, I was like, well, I don't want to ever be a part of a church like that ever again. And so wow, I, I was okay. like, yeah. So I want to be a part of like a Methodist church where they don't, they don't speak in tongues. You know, it's just worship, so you, you, word of okay, God, and so that's it. So you kind it. of threw the baby out with the... Oh, yeah. I was like, I'm never going to an Ascendance of God church ever yeah. again. Like, I'm never going to be a part of anything that's like that ultra charismatic. Mm-hmm. And then here's the thing, Sue. Like, I became a pastor. And eventually, I did confess to him years later. I, I, I talked to him about it. And, uh, you know, I just said, you know, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me for lying? You know, he said, well, I'm sorry for being such a bad, you know, like being that kind of authoritative and all that oh, stuff. Oh, he apologized. And, you know, we, oh, yeah, he did. So we did reconcile eventually. That was many, many years later because I just felt like I can't like keep this a lie anymore. Like it was mm. like one of these sins I never confessed to wow. him. You know, and I needed to. And so, but the damage has been done, you know, like I was like, yeah, yeah. you know, and like, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm never going to ask you to come and speak at our church. And you know, even when I'm a pastor now, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff like that. Years ago, he sent me a Facebook message. He said, hey, man, can I come and speak at your church sometime? And I, I just said, no, I, I, I was like, I'm not. Is he a you pastor? Know? He, he, he got revoked. His ministry license got revoked. Oh. Uh, because he made some passes at some girls in the fellowship, unfortunately, um, you know, and stuff. But uh, but then he tried to get back into pastoring uh, after a while. But he worked like in the banking industry and something mm-hmm. like that. So any event, yeah. So, but how it affected me, how the trauma affected me, Sua, was that when I started Metro, even though like deep down in me, you know, I'm a charismatic kind of guy, right? Mm-hmm. And so I express my well, faith. Big in, C or little C? I, uh, I think even Big C, like kind of like my AG, yeah. you know, that yeah. way and stuff. Yeah. Not not too, you know, but I tempered everything because of my traumatic experience. Yeah, I was going to say, there was a lot of char- Big C charismatic things, but it was always kind of it was, like yeah. under the radar. Right, right, yeah. right. And, and, yeah. and therefore, when people in the church that started coming out that were Big C type people, mm-hmm. I was like, Listen, we're never gonna really go, Yeah, we're never gonna go crazy here. You know, we're gonna you know, we're just gonna make sure that, you know, we're never gonna, you know, go out and we're not gonna speak in tongues and somebody's gonna give an interpretation. It's just never gonna happen. And I just really quenched the spirit wow. in many yeah. ways in my own life, particularly even in our church. And it didn't really come to full circle what God showed me all of that when um I I went back to uh seminary for my doctorate and in my first day of class it was like recent. Oh, it was recent. And, uh, you know, Alliance Theological Seminary is not a charismatic, it's, a, it's Christian Missionary Alliance, but, you know, the, the some of the professors are very charismatic. They believe in the gifts of the Spirit, they believe in healing and deliverance and stuff like that. And uh, and what happened was, is that in the first day of class, like, the professor was just walking around, I was like, hey, I just want to pray for you guys, just so you have a great week of class. There was nothing charismatic about it. We all stood up so that he could pray for us, and before he came over to me, Sua, I almost fell down. Like I Why? almost got slain in the spirit. 
Oh my goodness. And I was like, what is going on? And so what I had to do, I had to grab my desk and I'm like, what is going on here? I can't even stand up. He has such an authority to him wow. that I grabbed my desk and I'm like, this would be so embarrassing if I got slain in the spirit on the first day of class. I was like, I can't do that. I'm not going <laughs> down. Jesus, so I, no, I, please. I held on to the not, table. Not today. Yeah, I held on the table and I stood up and he prayed for me and he just prayed that God just bless Peter. Let him have a great week here. May you teach him how much wow. you love him and all this. It was just a normal prayer. Like I would pray for anyone else. But the power and that whole week, God just broke everything down for me and he showed me how much trauma I still sustained mm. from that experience where I've quenched his spirit over the years because of the trauma and I needed to heal. And, I, and here's the thing. Here's the thing that happens. When we go through church trauma, we end up, I don't think a lot of people walk away from their faith. They may walk away from the church, but what we do then is we turn off a big aspect of potentially of who God might be mm -hmm. to us because, we're, because we've been so hurt. And so the goal is really to get to a place where we can try to heal and, uh, and get to a place where we can work through this and talk through it, but recognizing that this happens. And I think the big thing that helped me over the years is realizing that this person is just a man. He's not perfect. Realizing that I needed a father figure in my life and I wanted him to be my father mm -hmm. figure. Mm -hmm. And that was not right. That was really unhealthy. And so I shouldn't have done that. Um, and realizing that I have to work through my own stuff in my own life. And yes, he was at fault for doing the things he did. But I realized that I had to grow my own life so that I can like defend myself in the future. And what it ended up doing for many years, even at Metro, is that I, I did not want us to be like the super charismatic. And we're not, but like I quenched the spirit many ways. And I, I like to believe over the last couple of years, I've been a lot more open to it because, you know, I just, I realized that a lot of that just came out of my trauma in the past. So, That's, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you're right. I, I do, it, but it's always been kind of a, like a, tension, I feel like, yeah. at Metro, because I think there was definitely a part of you that really did value the big C charismatic, yeah. you know, quote unquote, charismatic aspects of church. But at the same time, yeah, it was always like a tension because it was there, but we also didn't want to make it too public or yeah. too out there. And so I do remember, and now I kind of see the genesis of where that tension is coming from. Yep. You know, um, it's it's scary how the things that happen in our most formative years, we kind of carry around and um, yeah. apply to our lives and even in ministry in this case, you know? Right. And so I think for me, and I don't know if this is going to help you at all, but um, like when you minimize the trauma, that's when it's dangerous. Because you, like, so minimizing could be, hey, you know what? I'm just, I'm leaving the church. I'm done. Mm -hmm. And that's it. I'm, I'm walking away. And then you'd never have to deal with it. No, we need to heal from the trauma. I, mm -hmm. That's the thing that I didn't, I was never healed from. So for me, I minimized that trauma by saying, well, we're never going to be a charismatic church. And I was okay. I justified right, that. Right. And I needed the healing from what happened and the healing came not just because i asked him to forgive me years ago years ago even before my doctorate class but there was still trauma there that wasn't yeah. healed yeah and i was just like i can't you know like because i just don't like the way leadership charismatic leadership worked and it was very authoritative my way or the highway kind of thing we saw charismatic leaders as like part of the godhead mm -hmm. you know and that kind of stuff and so for me, it's that you can't ignore it, you can't minimize it. I think you have to figure out a place where you can kind of talk, uh, process it, and get some healing through it, 
where to be maybe talking to another pastor. So I want to encourage you, if, if you're a part of a church where you really um, connect well with the pastor and the pastoral staff, if there's been a church trauma at past churches, I think it would be good for you to get together with that pastor and just kind of talk through it. I think some counseling could be really good and helpful. Do you think I need to go find this pastor that I drew dandruff on? No, uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe. Show him the picture on D-Like. I'm sorry. Forgive me oh, for the dandruff. I, I still can't get past that. you like, I hated him. I hate him. I drew a picture of him and I put dandruff on his hair. And I'm like, oh my God, how innocent do you have to be to draw a demonized picture of somebody you hate and you put dandruff? Innocent is the right word. I think it's just like immature and limited in my in my imagination. How, how, how pure do you have to be to just say, I'm going to do something terrible. I'm going to put yeah, dandruff on I don't know. Hair. I feel like it's really, <laughs> <laughs> it's really gracious of you i feel like um to because you i don't know you know i'm not trying to be like oh pastor peter you are the best or whatever because you know what yeah. you're not my boss anymore i have nothing to gain that's from right this. that's right yeah <laughs> but yeah. but i think a lot of times i have spoken to other friends who've gone through church trauma who've been really you know um it goes from little, you know, petty things like the way I described all the way to like sexual abuse, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's that whole entire yeah. spectrum of yeah. abuse and sometimes they overlap, sometimes it's repeated. Um, but usually a lot of times the reaction is, well, they, they hurt me yeah. and um, that was their fault and that's it, right? But it's interesting the way you're presenting it, which is they did their part, but you also kind of allowed that to happen for much or you allowed right. it to manifest for much longer than it needed to or you're recognizing yeah. the fact that you had agency there and i feel like that's very unique because a lot of times we're so busy being and you know what i don't i it's dangerous for me to say this because i'm not trying to say victims of any kind of abuse yeah. are not victims like absolutely. we are victims absolutely absolutely but you're also not completely um, reducing your role to just a victim you know you're kind of recognizing that there were some unhealthy patterns already in your life that were allowing this to happen um, even more. And yeah, you're right. Like this is a slightly different situation than some, like, right. some other, because I actually know of a story where um, a youth group student ended up in a relationship with a youth pastor. Yeah. And that, and that, and that's a whole a different kind of trauma. You know? and so that's different. That. Yeah. That's yeah, that different. Never, I'm not yeah. illustrating this with that. that. That is a whole different kind of a trauma that I am. I cannot speak to. I don't understand. I've never gone through it and I'm so grateful. I've never gone through it, but I know so many people have and it's destroyed your relationship. Right. I certainly understand. I do hope my only thing I, I, I hope that you would know is simply this is that pastors are deeply flawed people, but the church, the head of the church is still Jesus. And I hope that you would give the church still a chance um, in some ways that you can have some healing. Um, but I can't speak to that because I don't think it's that easy for somebody who's been sexually abused by a pastor. It's, I think, the worst thing that somebody can go through. And that church trauma, I don't know. And I, maybe one day we need to get somebody on the show um, that has gone through that and has mm -hmm. been able to still be committed to a church afterwards. Because I don't know how you can do that. But for me, this is was my trauma. And this is kind of what helped me. Uh, over the years through it and uh and what helped me at the end and this is just me okay i'm just saying this is just for me what really helped me through all of this was still saying but no matter what this guy still played a role in my life that helped me to be a pastor today mm. he helped me fall in love with jesus in a way that i'd never been able to fall in love with jesus in the past um you know he would say some prophetic things to me he would say peter you know i pray for you and every time i pray for you i always see you standing in front of a large congregation oh, wow. wow and he said this when i was in college I was like really you know before and you was, were even thinking about becoming a yeah pastor, yeah right? and i was just yeah. like well yeah. i'm gonna be a, you know i was like i don't know yeah. i don't think so 
So anyway, there was some. There was also some really good things. So I don't think everything was a waste. And like the friendships that I built with the people there was just so amazing. So here's the most redemptive part of all this: God could even redeem anything that's broken and awful and lying. Because I was lying for three years. I was just gonna say you can say this now because you know you still got the girl. I mean, imagine yeah. you, had, you know Jenny had dumped you. I then mean, what? Thank God for. I mean, she's a. That's why she's a saint. She's a saint for not breaking up with me, man. I just I thank the Lord for that. Uh, but. But yeah, but at the end, like, I just, you know, I still encountered God and I was able to grow and stuff, but there was some healing that I had to go through. And I hope, I hope that uh, if you've gone through some church trauma, please let us know. Um, love to hear from you. Uh, send us an email. Go to weekpastor.org. You can send Sue and myself an email um, or we, info at weekpastor.org. I think that's an email address if you want to, and we will both get the email. But we'd love to hear from you of any type of church trauma that you might have gone through. And if you've gotten through some of that stuff, lessons you've learned, please share that with us. We'll make sure we mention that in our future podcast. So, yeah, so that's really, I, I think we got to kind of wrap up now. But, Sue, is there anything else you have? Um, Anything else you'd like to just say to our audience before we close it up? No, I, I mean, I always say no, and then I do this whole spiel. <laughs> You're like, is there anything else you'd like to say? I'm like, no, but here it is. Um, but yeah, I guess yes. Um, it kind of reminds me of the first episode we did when we talked mm -hmm. about all those spiritual giants. Yeah. Um, and in a way, yes, they were not direct abusers to us, but for some of us who really took their books and their lessons and yeah. um, their teachings to heart. And they were really formative for our spiritual growth. It feels a little bit like we were kind of cheated or betrayed, yeah. right? It feels like a personal betrayal, even though it's technically not. Yeah. And I, th but I think the principle is probably the same, which is um, for me, for example, if I talk about like Tim Keller, who, not, who has not fallen, God forbid he would ever fall. He's, he's great. Um, but yes, there have there been times when he became an idol in my life where I was mm -hmm. trying to put things that only God can be in my life on yeah. Tim Keller? Yes, there have been. Um, and I think a lot of times the danger is like if we are asking for things that only God can give us and we're seeking them in people, yeah. whatever that might be, it's a very, very treacherous and dangerous road because at the end of the day, people are flawed and people will still hurt us and um but yeah i mean hopefully hopefully you can continue to still have faith that it's god at the end of the day it's That's not right. people right so That's we're right. looking to god it's yeah. easier said than done it is it is and if we can all find our commonality in our weaknesses in our brokenness then i think there's hope because if we continue to find our commonality in our strengths then we often you know look at people and pastors and clergy that they got to be perfect, but we're all just broken people. And so if that can sort of bring, if that can kind of bring us together, I think there's hope for the future of the church and there's hope for even when we go through traumatic experiences in the church that we can heal from that and move forward and continue to connect with God and continue to serve and love and be a part of the church in every way. So yeah. thank you again so much for thank listening you. and we hope that you'll join us again next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.